And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brittany Leonard. Hopefully you guys had a great weekend. Um, a lot to get to, as always. Uh, I, I, why do we even start off every show by saying that? You know it. You know the news cycle is absolutely ridiculous. You know too much happens every day to cover on a bi-weekly uh, talk show. Uh, but yes, so much to get to today. Um, uh, before I get to it, though, obviously I need to say hi to our terrific sponsors over at Premier Vapor. If you smoke and you want to quit or if you vape already, you need to check out Premier Vapor. They have the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. Um, all their stuff is fantastic. It's delicious. I'm chiefing on some right now. They have any kind of mod, mod, battery, tank, coil, anything you need for your vape setup, they have. Um, they have physical locations in Perrysburg and Holland, Ohio. If you're in Northwest Ohio, make sure to check them out in person. Um, both of their physical stores have a great deal going on right now on e-liquid. Definitely check them out. If you're not in the area, go to PremierVaporAndLounge.com. That is PremierVaporAndLounge.com. Dot com. They will give you free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks, Guys, if you haven't already, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Tweet at us. We always tweet back. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. If you're on iTunes, please give us a five-star rating and a good review. I'd really appreciate that. All right. I was joined by my friend Greg Price from Lone Conservative, um, and we had a great chat. I think you guys will like it, uh, and we covered uh, as much as we possibly could in a very short amount of time. So here's my chat with Greg Price. All right, guys, we're here with Greg Price from Lone Conservative. Greg, thanks for taking the time, my friend. Good to be back on with you, Brady. Absolutely, absolutely. So, as always, we have a ton of stuff to get to today, uh, but let's start in South America. Um, there are some big things happening right now in, in Venezuela. Um, the head of their National Assembly, Juan uh, Guaido, has declared himself the interim president and declared communist dictator Nicolas Maduro illegitimate. Um, millions of protesters have taken to the streets to support Guaido. Um, before we d- dig into the details, uh, th- this is very exciting to me, man. Anytime there's a chance a communist state is going to fall is great news for the entire planet. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And the pictures that were coming out of Venezuela from from last week were incredible. Just you, you look at you look at all these cities and it's just millions of people like just walking around the street, raising their voices in opposition to Maduro and the pictures from the Guaido's inauguration. It was just incredible to see just uh, an incredible expression of people just yearning from freedom from Marxism. Right. And, uh, you know, and for anybody that doesn't know, we've talked about it a lot on the show, but uh, until the late 90s, when when uh, the communist uh, Hugo Chavez took over, Venezuela per capita was the richest country on the planet. Um, they have incredible oil reserves. I mean, they had a, a booming economy, and in the in a decade, it only took a decade for communism to completely destroy um, Venezuela, completely destroy uh, their citizens' quality of life. There's literally no zoos left in Venezuela because the the people are so hungry they ate all the zoo animals. Okay, so that's how bad Venezuela has deteriorated, and it happened with a quickness. Um, the United States, Europe, most of Europe 
Israel, Canada, and every single South American country, except for Bolivia, which is another uh, communist state, all those countries have recognized Guaido as as the uh, official president of Venezuela. Um, the only nations that have opposed this are, you know, your typical su- suspects, Iran, Russia, <laughs> yeah. and of course, uh, the Democratic Party. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible to see all these quote-unquote progressives because it wasn't all Democrats. Mo- mo- a good majority of Democrats right, right, supported right, right. supported it, but it's, it was it was so funny to see all of these quote-unquote progressives, it, both politicians and commentators, who spent two years now accusing Trump of being too friendly towards dictators, with shoddy evidence at best, all of a sudden come out and support an actual piece of human crap dictator, Nicolas Maduro, and. Their justification for it was saying that the U.S. shouldn't get involved with Latin Amer- in, in the affairs of Latin American countries as we've done in the past. And for the most part, I agree with that notion. But all we did was recognize the National Assembly president, Juan Guaido, as the rightful leader of Venezuela. We didn't do anything else. So it's just incredible to see, the, to see that reaction from all these quote-unquote progressives. Right. And, and these progressives typically don't have any problem with foreign interference i mean they're they're all interventionists you know they're fine with you know uh president obama invading libya for no reason they're fine with president obama invading syria for no reason and like you said there's no talk of military action or anything like that like we're not sending troops to south america like there's no one is talking about that no one that has not been discussed at all i mean president trump nobody has discussed sending you know troops to venezuela obviously i would oppose that i mean that, that would be insane like you said, all all they did was, you know, uh, recognize Guaido as as the legitimate president, which we obviously should do. And and yeah, I, I I did misspeak a little bit. You know, Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, came out and supported Trump's move. So did uh, Senator Dick Durbin, who's the uh, minority whip of the Senate, and and a handful of others. But yeah, that, there's a lot of the quote unquote thought leaders in the Democratic Party. Your Bernie Sanders. Ilian Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, they're all, you know, saying, oh, it's none of our business. We need to leave Maduro in place. I mean, I get it. You guys are communists. Uh, you know, communists are going to communist. So it's, it's just it's so startling and telling that we have, you know, prominent members of the United States government openly supporting a communist dictator. I mean, we there's been communists in the United States government for a long time. We know that. But they're so emboldened by the rise of communism on the left that they can just come out and say it. Yeah, it's incredible. And what's even more incredible about it is the media, which will ignore it completely. They won't ask the tough questions to Bernie Sanders and AOC and Ilan Omar by saying, hey, Nicolas Maduro implemented many or Hugo Chavez implemented many of the policies that you advocate for in his country. And the entire economy went to crap. It's got one of the highest uh, inflation rates in the world. And people, it's got one of the, like 90% of the people were living in abject poverty. And Hugo Chavez used a lot of the same talking points that you're using today. So even more incredible is the media that just won't call them out on it for whatever, for for their own reasons. Yeah, they won't. I I don't think they ever will. Um, And I don't even think uh, these communist type politicians, I don't think they'll even speak to journalists that might call them out on it. You know, I could see somebody like a Jake Tapper or somebody like that, even on on a far left outlet like CNN, asking tough questions like that. I just don't think they're even going to put themselves in that position. No, yeah, absolutely not. And 
and, and it's just and it's incredible that they can that they can get away with it. Um, and what's what's even more incredible is them saying that they want to leave Maduro in power because it was quote because they think it was illegal to for 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 the U.S. to recognize Guaido, even though he came to power through lawful means. There's a clause in the Venezuelan constitution that was um, ratified under Hugo Chavez that says in the absence. If a president is elected but is unable to assume office, the president of the National Assembly becomes the interim president and calls for new elections. And because the election and inauguration of Maduro were Ill- illegitimate by every mean necessary, Guaido became the interim president. So their justification for why the U.S. shouldn't recognize that fact was was just an incredible thing to to see over the weekend. Right, right. It's, it, it's just a lie. Yeah, I mean, it's just it, there's yeah. no truth behind it at all. And uh, a couple quick points before we move on to on Venezuela. The party of Juan Guaido is not, you know, people like Ilan Omar and, and AOC, they're calling him a far right leader. You know, they're trying to like turn him into like Trump or something. He's a, you know? like they're trying to, his part. He's a socialist, essentially. Like he's yeah. a he's a he's a far left leader. He's not an open communist like Nicolas Maduro. No, but he's a he's a socialist. He's essentially a democratic socialist. Like if his government does take power, they're still going to be a lefty government. They'll oh, probably yeah. just, you know, they'll, they they won't confiscate all of the wealth. They'll probably just confiscate most of the wealth. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's don't get don't get me wrong, for the people of Venezuela, this would be a small step in the right direction and not a major step in the right direction. So, it, it's just completely dishonest the rhetoric coming from these these American socialists. Yeah, he's not like a he's not a Bolsonaro type of figure. His party, the Popular Will, is a is is like you said a center left party and and it's just it's just incredible to see them lie about it just just so they can continue this whole notion um that their their ideology isn't responsible for what is happening in venezuela right so you know i'll be praying you know for the people of venezuela i i really hope this works out um, they're not out of the woods by any means. Uh, the military mm-hmm. is, is they're a military dictatorship and the military, um, is still siding with Nicolas Maduro. Um, a lot of, uh, the police, uh, the police forces across the country have, uh, sided with Guaido though. So maybe yeah. that's a, a, a good sign that's a step in the right direction. I read this morning that, um, Guaido's people are negotiating with members of the military to try to get them to, uh, you know, join forces and, and, and force Maduro out. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't know. I, and I'm not I'm not an yeah. expert on, on South American politics or anything like that. But uh, it, it's definitely encouraging to see the people rise up against communism. Um, it's yeah, definitely, I was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, was, I, I was talking to my friend who actually is from Venezuela. I, the first time I ever went to uh, YAF's National uh, conference. He was my roommate. And so I texted him the other day and I asked him about it. And he said, he said that two of the major generals are probably going to, uh, side with Guaido. And I asked him, what are the odds that they can get, that he can get control of the military? And he said, they're pretty good. So we can take that for what it's worth. But yeah. I'll be praying wow, for them that... too, to finally fight for their freedom. Yeah. That's great news. I mean, I hope, uh, I hope this really snowballs and they can Take their country back, man. It's been a long time, and they've they've suffered and struggled for a long time um, under under communism. So, and l- like I said to, to start off the show, I, I mean, any time a communist regime falls, uh, it's a win for freedom and liberty worldwide. So, you know, we'll, we'll all be praying and and sending good thoughts to them down there. And uh, hey, if anybody's listening from Venezuela, <laughs> you know, 
best stay, of luck. Stay, stay, to you. Stay, yeah, best of luck, man. Best of luck. God bless. Godspeed. You know, hang tough. Um, so let's move on to what happened uh, domestically at the end of last week. President Trump caved on this government shutdown. He caved on the wall, at least temporarily. Why are Republicans... I, I, I tweeted this on Friday, I believe. The, the GOP's record on government shutdowns is very similar to Hugh Jackson's record as you know the coach of the Cleveland Browns. It's just <laughs> piss poor. Why do we lose every single government shutdown? It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating that the Republicans can't just hold the line. They cannot hold ranks. They all just get weak at the knees. They, they just don't have the stomach for it, it seems like. I don't know if it's that they're constantly being bombarded by the press it's like they're just like puppies that have been beaten you know what i mean by the the press and it's just it's so frustrating to see the gop cave again um what did you make of all this yeah i mean there's no really you can't really sugarcoat it trump trump caved and the the problem is always with, with government shutdowns going back to 2013 over obamacare the problem has always been the messaging for some reason, when the when Republicans start to fight for a policy that they really believe in, their messaging just goes down the down to the shits. And you know, we we were we had the government shut we had it, we were in a government shutdown for 35 days, and the message that you were hearing was was should have always been okay. We need to secure our border. Um, the message from the beginning just should have been, you know what, we got a problem on the border. Um, we all we want is five billion dollars, which is nickels. In Nothing. comparison to the to the entire to the entire federal budget, and these Democrats are willing to shut or would, would rather shut down the government than give us this money that we will then allocate to Border Patrol to, for them to do with it what they wish. And so from the start, it was not the best idea for the president to go on national television with Chuck Schumer and say that he would be proud to shut down the government. The message would be: if you don't give us this small amount of money that could make a very big difference in securing our border, you and, and you're you're going to shut down the government over that but that's not what it was it turned into gov- republicans are holding the government hostage republicans are preventing these furloughed government workers from getting their pay and a lot of it had to do with the media but a lot of it had to do with the fact that republicans just re- again refused to go full court press on the issue of border security during the shutdown and 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 as a result we had a government shutdown for 35 days and all we got out of it was the same proposal that was on the table back in december and you're absolutely right that the messaging sucked, but the tactics, I mean, their their, their tactics also sucked. And it, it didn't really make any sense. I mean, for me and, and, and you and, and other people, commentators from the outside, we're, we've been saying for 35 days, it's very simple what Trump had to do. Like, you know, Nancy Pelosi is a bitch and she canceled the State of the Union or whatever, or postponed it, whatever, whatever you want to call it. All Trump had to do, and I've been saying on the podcast for weeks, all Trump has to do is go down to the southern border with a whole bunch of ICE agents and, and border control agents and just do a speech, like a State of the Union-type speech down there in front of law enforcement and, you know, whatever. Like, why didn't he do that? Like, Nancy Pelosi canceled the State of the Union because she was afraid of Trump speaking to the people and getting his message across. Because Trump's very good when he can appeal directly to the American people. His approval rating jumps up. You know, his 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 policy points become a lot more popular. Why didn't he do that? I and mean, he had he had almost he had a month. Why? Why? I, I just don't understand these little things that could have made a huge difference. You know, why didn't the GOP just blow up the fact <clears throat> that multiple times the Democrats voted against funding or paying the Coast Guard over and over? Ted Cruz yeah. uh, introduced uh, just a standalone bill 
said, all right, we're just going to pay the, the Coast Guard. The, every other branch of the military is getting paid. The Coast Guard isn't. Let's just pay them, and then we'll deal with everything else later. The Democrats voted no. Why wasn't that the number one—I mean, that, that's an asinine position. You're just going to vote against paying the Coast Guard for absolutely no reason? Like, why wasn't Trump on TV talking about that? You know what I mean? I know Ted Cruz tried to and other senators tried to, but the president is the one with the bully po- the pulpit. You know, like Ted Cruz can only do so much as one of 100 senators. Why, the, tact, the, the messaging sucked, but they kept fumbling the ball in these weird ways. They could have done these little things that would have pushed the ball forward in a major way that wouldn't take very much effort, and they just didn't do it. Like, I just don't understand, like, who is, who, who is in the war room? at the White House, advising Trump. like wh- These are common-sense things he could have been doing, and he wasn't. It's frustrating, and it doesn't really make any sense to me. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I've, I've stopped trying to understand what Trump does on, on a daily basis just because he's just the most unpredictable human being in the world. But like, right. like you said, they should have been saying from the beginning, the Democrats are so desperate to not give the president a political win. They hate him so much that they're not going to vote for something that should be a bipartisan consensus that we need to secure our border. That physical, that walls work. They worked, they work in Israel. Israel uses them to contain Hamas in Gaza. The wall on the Tijuana border reduced border crossings by some 80 to 90%. That should have been their message from the beginning. It's a simple thing that we want to do is to secure our border, control the flow of drugs, Drugs and human trafficking control crossings from from a flow to a manageable trickle, and then we'll allocate the rest of the money for things like uh, advanced technology, sensor technology, and things like that. But like you said, they just they they, they fumbled the shutdown in a huge way, and it was thirty five days for nothing. And you can't sugarcoat that at all. And but even and an even an even bigger point, like the bigger point in all this is why the hell. Did we wait to have a border fight until after Republicans lost the House? Like we had two know. years. That, that, we, that was that's the biggest. Maybe the most fru- right. That's probably the most frustrating part about this. And no Republican has had a good answer. I mean, uh, Mitch, yeah, Mitch McConnell and Paul Ryan and President Trump and everybody. They need to answer. Why the hell didn't we do this two years ago? Why didn't we do this a year ago? Why didn't we do this in October? You know, when poll, all the polling data showed that we were probably going to lose the House of Representatives. Why now? Why wait until now? I have not heard a good answer to that question. That's because there is none. There's absolutely no excuse for it. And it's just like for, in my entire lifetime, for whatever reasons, Republic, Republicans in Congress have just been absolutely useless when given power. I all right. So one last point on this government shutdown fight. They only funded the government for three weeks. So it's uh, you know February nineteenth or something. The, 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 the fi- money runs out. It's the fifteenth. 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 Okay. So February fifteenth, we're going to do this all again. Does Trump have any leverage left? Like what what it, what leverage does Trump have by reopening the government three weeks? It seems like he threw away ninety percent of his leverage. Like why would Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer come to the table now if they weren't willing to last week? I. I is is there some kind of meaning to the madness? Is, does I I'm not seeing it from from where I'm sitting right now. I do not see, you know, a, a, an ace up President Trump's sleeve. Like I just don't know with the government functioning now, wh- what leverage does he really have for the for these negotiations the next three weeks? 
well, we're in an era of divided government. He doesn't have the House anymore. So his only his only leverage that he really has is he has the bully pulpit of the presidency that he can use to go to the American people. And that's something he really should do. Now, I don't now all these you heard all these Democrats while the government was shut down saying that they'll negotiate on the wall um, on border security if they open the government. The government's open and they're still probably they're, that they're, there's no way they're going to negotiate it. So I, his, his really his only leverage is the bully pulpit of the presidency at this point, and I hope he uses it. And I, I hope and I, I don't know. Like I like one of my one of my old uh, college professors used to say that he, he moderates debates, and he said he's he told me he's been asking questions to candidates about immigration since 2004, and nothing's ever changed since then. And it's probably going to be the, the same way. I don't think it'll change even after the funding goes out for the CR. And it's just right, a shame. It's, a, it's, it's just a shame that the, that we're so we're in, we're in an era of such um, division politically that we can't come to that Democrats and Republicans can't come together on an issue so simple as securing the border and reforming our immigration system. Right. It, it's disappointing. It's shameful. Um, I, I really wish these people would do their jobs. If you had to put a percentage on it, what is the you know what chance would you give Trump of getting his five point seven billion for the wall as it uh, stands right now? Um, I don't know if I want to put a number on it. I'd say it's highly unlikely, and for for the simple reason, as I said before, which is that Democrats are so desperate to not give him a political win that they won't vote for something as as simple as securing our border. Right. I'll put a number on it. I would go seven percent. There's a 7% chance <laughs> Trump gets his wall money. So, all right, let's move on. We're going to talk about some of the Democrats running for president, as we have on almost every <laughs> episode lately. Excuse me. Uh, but let's talk about an independent who might actually be uh, running third party for the president of the United States in 2020 as well, and that is former Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz. Um, he did an interview on 60 Minutes where he said he, you know, he doesn't like either party. Uh, he doesn't like the Republicans. He thinks Trump is awful. And then he thinks that the Democrats are too far left. And, you know, he, he may self-fund a uh, independent run for, for the White House. Um, obviously, Schultz has more money than God. I mean, he's worth like know, 50 billion or, or something insane like that. Um, yeah. The Democrats are not happy about this. The Democrats <laughs> are very upset about this. They think that he could be a Ross Perot type character for anybody that doesn't know. Ross Perot ran third party on, on the Reform Party ticket in 1992, and that's why Bill Clinton was elected. Without Ross Perot sp splitting the conservative vote, H.W. would have, you know, won easily. He, he would have won, you know, 35, 36 states probably. Um, so the Democrats are afraid that a leftist, because Schultz is a leftist, he's a very far left guy, uh, that he may split the Democratic vote and help President Trump be reelected. Um, do you think the Democrats' concerns are valid at all? Um, I would say yeah, but there's also the the evidence that third party candidates help uh, certain candidates win and certain and, and some don't. I think the evidence the, there's not really a lot of evidence to support that. Like when Woodrow Wilson was first elected, it was when uh, uh, Taft was the Republican nominee and uh, Teddy Roosevelt was running on the Bull Moose ticket, and right. they kind of split the Republican vote. But there's there's other evidence that shows even if Roosevelt hadn't been on the ticket, that w w that Wilson still probably would have won. And the same the same is true with with uh, Ross Perot, H.W. and, and Clinton. 
happened. There's like evidence that goes both. So that, I guess the evidence on that is pretty, is it's, it's not really, uh, I, I would say it's, it's, it would be unlikely that a third party candidate running uh, like a, as a former Democrat would help Trump get elected. But I think it's always pretty interesting when independents decide to, to run like the reasons they give, because there's not, there's not a very high probability that they'll actually win. Like, so that's why I'm always curious to see as their, their reasons for doing so. Like, like Evan McMullen was one of those people in 2016. So I don't, I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to see. It'll be very, it'll be very interesting for sure. It's, it's interesting to me. And I, I see, I do see why somebody like Schultz would want to run as, as you know, he's, he's setting himself up as like the centrist, you know, the moderate guy, you know, he thinks the Republicans are too conservative and, and the Democrats are too liberal and he's the centrist or whatever, which is kind of weird because he's a very far left guy. Oh yeah. You know, from any, everything I've read about him, but uh, you know, he's positioning himself as the centrist and he's doing that because polls routinely show that 60 to 70%, you know, roughly two thirds of the country don't identify as leftists or as conservatives. So there's this, you know, two thirds of the country are somewhere in the middle, the center, right, center, left. But people that run in the middle don't win. I mean, look at 2016. There was a centrist Republican, John Kasich, and a centrist Democrat, Jim Webb, who ran as the centrists. They got nowhere. They went absolutely nowhere. And which is kind of strange when you think about it, because, you know, two thirds of the country, they don't call themselves liberals or conservatives. They call themselves moderates. So why don't moderates ever vote for moderates? Why do they why do they vote mm-hmm. for the you know the traditional conservative or liberal? You know that, that is fascinating. You would think. I mean, I I see the polls and Schultz has a point. You know, two thirds of the country are quote unquote in the middle, but candidates that run towards the center just don't gain traction at all. Like, is it just because the base of each party, you know, are liberal and conservative, or is it just? You know, they just don't inspire the same kind of enthusiasm that somebody with more extreme positions does. It, it, I don't know. It's very strange because it doesn't match. The, it, people's voting patterns don't match these that polling data. Well, yeah. I mean, it's different when you're like running in a primary and when you're running in a general. So like so like if you're running in a Republican primary, there's certain bases to the Republican Party. And you have to right. you have to you have to cater to all you have to get the vote from all of these from from these and it, from these bases in order to win so like so so like one of the major reasons donald trump became the nominee is because he got uh he he got the support of the evangelical community which i think is close to 30 percent of the republican base at this point is are evangelicals in the bible belt so trump was able to appeal to those people by by taking a lot of socially conservative positions in the primary and so so the same so moderates like in a primary are immediately get the short end of the stick because because you know you have you, you you have different people of different ideologies who vote in different ways in the primary. Now, in the general, it's a different story because now the entire country is voting. So, if you're an independent, but if but if you're an independent, you don't have the same resources or the same rec- name recognition that the major party candidates have. Like you don't have the like. There's three things that win elections: it's media, money, and momentum. And 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 like it's unfortunate. I'd like I would like to see third party candidates um, have have a better chance. In the general, but, but if you don't have media attention, which is usually only given to the to the uh, Democrat and Republican on the ticket, if you don't have money, which a lot of independents and, and third party candidates don't, and you're you're, you're really not going to go anywhere, and that's that's kind of what it comes down to. Right, I think uh, Iowa is is uh, a, a major part of the problem as well for third party candidates because yeah, Iowa's the first primary. 
And uh, the the Republicans in Iowa are very, very conservative. Um, and the Democrats in Iowa are very, very liberal. Uh, same goes for New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's it's those are those two states are very you, you wouldn't think it by their location in the country. But, you know, the conservatives in both of those states are very conservative. Uh, in, in New Hampshire, it's a, the conservatives are almost more libertarian than anything else. And then in, yeah. in both Iowa and New Hampshire, the the people on the left are very far to the left. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like, the, and if look, and if you don't do well, if you're not at least top three or four in Iowa and New Hampshire, you're done. I mean, you're Dunsville. You're out. Uh, it's you really can't come back from that, or at least it would be extremely difficult to come back from that. So it's almost like uh, candidates on both sides have to pander to the populations of Iowa and New Hampshire is as weird as that is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's always tough. Like with, with the, with the primary system, um, for, for third party candidates. Um, but we'll see, we'll see if, if, if it's actually true that he'll, he'll split, if, if he'll get a big enough split of the, of the Democrat vote to allow Trump to, to remain president. We'll have to, we'll have to see where he goes from here and what, what his strategy is going to be on the campaign trail. Right, and uh, I know it's like the most overdone joke on Twitter right now, but I just hope they spell his name wrong on the ballot. That, I mean, we can all, that'd be good recompense for uh, everything we've gone through anytime we <laughs> walk into a Starbucks forever and ever. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so before I, before I let you go, Greg, um, obviously Kamala Harris, we all knew she was running, but she officially announced she's running <clears throat> over the weekend. Um, there's been Bernie Sanders also announced he's running over, over the weekend. That's not a surprised by any means but you know and all, all the other candidates that have announced klobuchar warren um what's his name the mayor of south bend indiana <laughs> um, pete Buttigieg. Uh, yeah Buttigieg, yeah and uh castro the former housing secretary and and so uh, cory booker tulsi tulsi gabbard too yeah yep yeah and uh well, actually i don't think booker has officially announced yet but let's Not, be honest, yeah n- neither is klobuchar but they'll both probably do that in the next few weeks so if you had to put money on it right now, I, I, not even who gets the Democratic nomination, but maybe who's in the final four, final three or four. Like who who should we really be keeping our eye on? Um, I think if Biden runs, it's a race for second. I think Biden right. will win the Democratic nomination if he runs for the simple reason that if you're running as a Democrat, there's so many different um, like, like same thing for Republicans, but even more so for Democrats. There's so many bases in the Democratic Party. That you have to appeal to, and Biden's one of the few candidates that appeals to all of them. You know, the and because if you're like if you're a Democrat and you're looking at why you lost in 2016, you lost because you lost all the the rural blue dog Democrats that voted Democrat but switched to Donald Trump. So Biden appeals to those people. He appeals to the progressives for sure because his politics are to the left. Um, so I would have I would have Biden. I think Biden is uh, the front runner if he de- if he decides to run. His only problem would be his age. Um, I think. Beto is another one of those candidates similar to him. Uh, I think Kamala, Kamala Harris is definitely in the top four. Um, and honestly, I, I, I'm, I, I told you this before the show, Pete Buttigieg is a dark horse candidate that we should keep an eye on. And be, for the simple reason that he appeals to all those bases. He, his politics are to the left. He's the mayor of a Midwestern city. He, he's starting to get the name recognition because he ran for DNC chair and kind of became the fan favorite in that race. And he's also, he, He's gay, so he appeals to the intersectional uh, crowd in the Democratic Party, too, which is another big thing that will hurt Biden and Beto. They're straight white men, and Kamala Harris is a black woman. So those those, right. those, would, be my top, those think, would be my top four at this point. 
Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a good call. I, I disagree with you on uh, Budicic, um, just because you know South Bend is a city of like seventy thousand people, seventy five thousand people. I just don't see the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, being able to raise the kind of money or get the kind yeah. of name recognition in a short amount of time needed. But Another reason also with Beto, I thought Beto would be a top contender, but uh, I don't think so. I Beto might not even run at this point. He's been getting backlash just for being too male and too white, you know, from the Democratic yeah. base. And they went on his <laughs> stupid Jack Kerouac on the road style bullshit, like weird blog <laughs> posts and stuff where he just revealed that he's kind of just a dummy. Like he's kind of just an idiot. And I don't know who advised him to do that, that weird road trip where he's like, you know, writing diary entries like a teenager or something. That was weird. And then the video that came out of him singing uh, Blitzkrieg Bop in a like a sheep suit or something. Like, <laughs> all right, this guy just might be so too, too dorky, too corny to run. Uh, old old Robert Francis. So I, I, I he might. I, I definitely think if Biden runs, Beto will not run, or he'll just drop out immediately. Because I, I think they'd be going after the same voting base. I don't think the you know the Democratic primary is big enough for the both of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. By the way, I love the the Beto's Journal Twitter account. I don't know if you saw that. Oh yeah, it's just, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, so <laughs> those are so funny. But yeah, but another reason I say Buttigieg though is because the Democratic candidates that have won in the in like the past few decades have been candidates that sort of weren't the big name candidates when when the talk about the race started. So like Obama wasn't a major figure in, in the Democratic Party until he gave that speech at, at the uh, Democratic National Convention. And he wasn't really talked about as a big candidate for president until, like, I'm, like in 2008, it was like Howard Dean was was a big candidate. I, there was talk of John Kerry running again, and Hillary Clinton was obviously in that race too. And then Obama kind of came in and took it. And the same thing was true with Jimmy Carter and with Bill Clinton in their races. They weren't really the talk of the the primary um, before that. And all the and all the Demo- and all the Democratic. Obama- Barack Obama got pretty lucky in 2008, though. Yeah. You're right. He was a, he was an afterthought. He was not polling very well. He had very low name recognition. But he had all of his opponents <laughs> just just fell apart, man. He had Hillary, who's just terrible. I mean, she's just a terrible, unlikable candidate. Mm-hmm. Howard Dean did the, yeah, we're going <laughs> to Washington, yeah. So And then people stopped <laughs> taking him seriously. And then the front runner, who was John Edwards, uh had the misfortune of knocking up his mistress when his wife was dying of cancer and uh, paid her off with $900,000 of campaign money. So all of those things <laughs> back to back to back to back. Yeah. Uh, Obama was very, very lucky to run against a clown car of <laughs> Democrats in 2008. Yeah, that's true. But like, but also though the democratic candidates who have lost have, have been candidates that had the big rank name recognition. So Hillary Clinton, obviously John Kerry, and uh, so that's why that's why I say we shouldn't really look into a lot of the the candidates that are running now because I, a lot of the Democratic candidates that end up winning aren't really those types of candidates. They're the candidates that kind of fly under the radar and then come and then uh, kind of m- make a push at the last second. So that's why I say people like Elizabeth Warren, people like Cory Booker, and people who have that kind of name recognition, I don't think are going to win as the as the as the race picks up and as the debates come on in, in the lead up to Iowa. So that's, that's why I say, keep an eye on Pete Buttigieg. He's, 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 a, he's a, he's definitely, I think he's a dark horse candidate in the race for sure. But I think if Biden runs, he'll run away with it. Obviously. I think Kamala Harris is a pretty solid shot. Um, I think, yeah, if, 
if Biden doesn't run and Beto does, then Beto, I think I agree with you there. Then Beto certainly has a has a good shot. But all these other can uh, all these other candidates, I don't think are going anywhere. I'm with you on all of that except for Pete Buttigieg. <laughs> if, <laughs> look, I'll make you a bet right now. If Pete Buttigieg is the uh, uh, Democratic nominee, I will give you Greg Price five point seven billion dollars. All right, I'll take that. <laughs> that. That's how that's how confident I am that he won't really go anywhere. But one one more point before I let you go, Greg. You mentioned Tulsi Gabbard, and she's an interesting. I I like Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, I I don't like most of her policies. She is a socialist, uh, and it, it is kind of troubling to see that some like libertarian types because they agree with Tulsi on Syria. Uh, be like, oh yeah, maybe we'll vote for for Tulsi over Trump in twenty twenty. And I had a I had Nate Madden on from the Blaze on on the show a couple weeks ago, and he was like. Yeah, I don't really get it. You know, voting for Tulsi because you like her on Syria is like buying a 747 for the free peanuts. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's a good way to put it. But uh, I like that she's running for president because I'm not as non-interventionist as she is. But I think it's I hope she does well because we need to be having these kind of conversations in the public discourse like, hey, Maybe we should pull out of some of these countries, whether that's right or wrong. I don't know. That's above my pay grade. But like it, it's like I, I like that a non-interventionist is running because I want to have these conversations with people, you know, and obviously she did call out her fellow Democrats for their, you know, anti-Catholic and anti-Christian religious bigotry, which is great. And it's very interesting seeing the Democratic Party hammer Tulsi. Well, yeah, I mean, they do not. They do not like that a Democrat breaks ranks. I mean, because Democrats do not break ranks they hold their line they hold fast on the leftist talking points they love them some religious bigotry they love them some foreign intervention i mean they they love Mm. all this stuff they love the unnecessary wars and they just the democratic media machine just slamming tulsi gabbard is just really telling man like they're like get back get back in line girl like that's what they're telling her and i'm like woof Get the popcorn right, yeah, son. Yeah, I mean, her biggest issue isn't really her views on foreign policy. It's the fact that she supported traditional marriage until five minutes ago. She voted. <laughs> and it's not they that she's, did. it's not just that she, it, yeah. No, but her, her more than, she was very outspoken of, of her, of, about her views um, on traditional marriage and, uh, until literally, so that's her biggest problem. She's being hammered for that. And yeah, I just, I mean, I disagree with you about, I disagree with your perspective on Syria. I've, I've listened to your podcast when you talked about it, but yeah. Yeah, I see what you're saying that she's kind of like she's kind of a different she's a different sort of Democrat running in, in the race. Um, so we'll, we'll have to see. It'll be very, it'll it'll be spectacular television. These debates for sure. She's also right, she's right. also and very d- pretty. She, yeah, she is very pretty. Yeah, I think. Yes, that that definitely will help her out a little bit. And yeah. I may be wrong on Syria, man. Like I uh, I took the position that, you know, Congress didn't authorize military action in Syria. So if, if you want to go protect the Kurds, if you want to go do that. Hey, just bring me 60 senators, man. <laughs> Come on. There's 100 of you I, motherfuckers. 60 of you vote for it. You know, so it's and I could be wrong about that. I just think that the entire media and the establishment of both parties have been so interventionist for so long. I just think we need to have the conversations, whether Tulsi's right or wrong on Syria. I don't know. It's that's above my pay grade. And there's excellent points uh, on both sides. I just like that, you know, let's say she's in like the final five or six, she's on like the debate stages with the, the other more interventionist Democrats. It'd be interesting to force the American people to at least have these conversations. I just think it would be, I think that's, we need it. Like we, we're not having enough of those conversations right now. So that's kind of all I really meant with Tulsi, but yeah, she is really getting blasted from the rest of her caucus. 
Yeah, I don't think I don't think she'll be in the top ten by the end no, of the day. Do I. I don't know how she's gonna raise the money. I mean, uh, the people that donate are uh, you know like the 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 LGBT like you know hard left like communist you know intersectional kind of people and they don't like her because of the gay marriage stuff and then the establishment donors are all like pro-war <laughs> so yeah. we're all like you know military industrial complex people so i'm like all right how like you're not going to raise money from either one of those groups like i just don't see how i mean she's you need to, i mean how much money do you need to become president it's like 500 million essentially something like that like you know you're not going to raise that with without either base of support but all right i'm over time already Thanks uh, so much, Greg, for coming on again. Um, where can everybody find you online and read your stuff and keep in touch and all that good stuff? Uh, yeah, so Greg underscore Price 11 on Twitter. And uh, you can follow me on Instagram if you want, gpress1234, and check out my author page on Lone Conservative. I'm um, getting more articles out there soon. So um, thanks for having me on, Brady. Always, always a pleasure. Absolutely. I'll definitely have you back on soon. Everybody follow Greg. He's great. Check out Lone Conservative. It's a great site, especially if you're in college. Um, oh, you know, or if you're an old dude like me too, it's still uh, great stuff. A lot of great writers over there. I'm Brady Leonard. I will be back on Wednesday. No gimmicks.